0: good morning and thank you all again for getting up very very early it was a very early morning for many of us we have essayists traveling from very far NPR Illinois had an event last night Rotary y'all are used to getting up early so I'm not talking about y'all <laughs> but good morning everybody and welcome to the fall 2022 this I believe essay program meet the authors event let's start off with a round of applause Um, For those of you who don't know me, my name is B Bonner, and I am the Community Voices Editor at NPR Illinois. I host and edit a daily show called Community Voices, as well as plan these type of engagement and outreach events. So this, I believe, is my baby. It's been my baby from the past six times. So hopefully Randy keeps letting me do my job and says I'm doing a good job, so let me keep doing it. So, right? Okay. Alrighty, so today we have gathered to celebrate our top 10 essayists this morning. So again, thank you all for being here. Just to give a little background on the program, this I believe was started by radio journalist Edward R. Moreau, and one of our essayists has the book over there, which I might have to get. So grandparents, I may need to know where you got that from, because that's a good book. (laughs) And so NPR Illinois adopted this idea, and we came up with this, I believe, essay program in partnership with the Sunrise Rotary. So again, thank you all for your support support and helping us to, co- uh, to continue to do this. Uh, so we asked our high school seniors what they believe as they enter the adult world. And for some of us, it wasn't too long ago. But for some of us, it may have been a couple of years ago. So again, as my mother would say, I think hearing from the youth helps keeps us young and fresh and vibrant. And they think some pretty good ideals. So I think the future is in good hands because they're talking about good Things They're talking about deep things. They're talking about the guiding principles that they hold near and dear to them. So essayists, I just want to thank you for sharing those things with us because it can be hard to express yourselves and be that vulnerable. So again, thank you. At this time, I want to thank all of our sponsors. So of course, I want to start off with the Rotary Club of Springfield Sunrise. Thank you. Thank you, thank you. You all have been such a great partner through and through. This thing used to be smaller than what it was, and to see where it is now, I'm very excited. And y'all, this is the first program we've held in person since I think 2020. That's amazing. We have about 75, maybe 80 people in here right now. So again, thank you Sunrise Rotary for helping us get this program to where it is now. We hope to continue to see it grow. I also want to thank the State Journal Register. Uh, They are the local newspaper and they will be printing the essays on December 4th and December 11th. So again, thank you to them. We also have BLH Computers, KEB, and Marine Bank. So thank you to all of the sponsors. You all do such an amazing job. Because of you, we are able to award these essays a lot of money, I would say, for an essay program. So again, thank you for that. I Also at this time, I want to thank all of our parents, our teachers, high school counselors, staff, anybody that has helped a child write an essay, anybody that has supported uh, essayists again, it is not easy to talk about your feelings, so thank you for supporting these students. Thank you for getting up with them this morning and bringing them here. Some of y'all came from very far, so thank you. Thank you. Thank you for getting up. I also want to thank the essayists and the teachers, especially. Randy and I had an idea this year because, you know, we always get ideas, and that was to change the program from the winter time and bring it to fall. And so, of course, when you're met with change, there is a little bit of fear that comes in. But we welcome it with open arms, and I am proud to say this year we had 115 essays from 15 different schools. <laughs> that really is amazing. In a year of change, it can be hard to get participation, but we saw a lot of participation. In fact, on day one, I usually never receive essays. I received about 50 essays on day one of submissions. So that is awesome. So that just shows us the program is working, you all are enjoying it, and we'll continue to do it. Now, I'm gonna start running my mouth soon, so I see y'all getting a little tired, so I'm gonna start running my mouth. But uh, first, before we hear from the essayists, I wanna bring up a couple of important people. We'll first have my boss, General Manager (laughs) Randy Eccles, come up here and give us a couple of words. Following Randy, we'll have Molly Lamb, Executive Director of the UIS Center for State Policy and Leadership. That's Randy's boss. And then we'll also have Liz Muir, President of the Rotary Club of Springfield Sunrise. So if you can make your way up here in that order, we'll keep moving. At about a minute, I might cut you off. So do what you gotta do. Thank you.
1: Hi, and and welcome. I just have a couple of quick things to to say. First of all, um, I am so thankful for all of you in how you participate with us in this this, I Believe program. Thank you for the authors. Thank you for all the adults who make this happen, especially our longtime partner, the Springfield uh, Sunrise Rotary. It's been a 17-year run so far. As B was talking about when she first got here, this is her baby now, uh, but well, it was one of the first things I got to do when I was here. And when we started, it was just District 186 here in Springfield that was participating. And now we have participants all throughout our broadcast area. We've had winners from the other side of Decatur, we've had Litchfield and up to Lincoln and all the way over to Hannibal and Missouri in the past. So it, it's great to be part of the competition and it's really not a competition more than a recognition. Um, we like to say the authors are selected as opposed to winners because there are lots of great essays, but you know, there are only a few that would get selected each year, so thank you for participating. Uh, I would be remiss if I didn't make sure you understood about NPR Illinois. I always assume everybody knows, but NPR Illinois is a public radio station for the state capitol. Uh, you just heard me tell you where the broadcast area is throughout central Illinois. Public radio is essential. It is funded by the public. Uh, We do a variety of fundraising to make sure we pay our our end. It also allows us to do things that commercial media can't necessarily. And in this era, one of the big things that is, is covering the news uh, and covering the state capital, covering local news. But also we are one of the few stations you'll listen to that have international coverage. We have BBC on overnight, international bureaus, national bureaus around the world. And that's all funded by people like you who are making donations to the station to keep it going. And so that's the beauty of public radio. Beyond the news, we also do cultural enrichment and engagement. And that's become even more important, especially over the last few years with the pandemic and the break, is bringing people back together, making sure people understand what organizations are out there and what they're doing. And so this is one of those engagements where we're trying to bring the community together. And it's been wonderful to hear what our high school seniors think just before they enter their adult life. And uh, in the past, I think for the 15th anniversary, we actually had some of them come back from years ago and and tell us whether or not they still believed what they believed. And uh, in general, the answer was yes. So <laughs> no, good to hear. Good to hear. Anyway, uh, thanks for everybody for participating. We, we are thrilled that you're associated with NPR Illinois. And uh, Please uh, tell people about it for the future. We want to keep this going. Thank you. And I should introduce my boss uh, to say a couple words, Molly Lamb, the executive director of the Center for State Policy and Leadership.
2: Good morning. Can we do that a little louder? We're going to have to get a little bit more excited this morning. Uh, welcome. It's so uh, I think B said it, and I have some redundant words, so it's a good thing you'll recognize we're on the same team, right? So that's fantastic. I love seeing everybody here and on per- in person, and coming out here to experience UIS campus. It's beautiful. I want to say special thanks for that because that's a trip and it's different, and we can all be back in person. So that's just fantastic. Uh, I was not only delighted and honored to be here this morning and be invited, but I was just so appreciative to be able to extend a warm welcome to you, to everyone in the room here today on behalf of uh, UIS, on behalf of the Center for State Policy and Leadership, um, specifically our Chancellor Chancellor Janet Gooch, who's new to us this year, our NPR Illinois, our partners Rotary Club of Springfield Sunrise Rotary. So. Really warm welcome to you this morning. Uh, Congratulations to you student authors. You made it in the top 10. More importantly though, thank you. Thank you for your efforts, your time, your critical thinking, your creativity, your collaboration with so many for this program, your willingness to be open. You shared your story, but more importantly, your character, thinking and your heart. You taught lessons, had people pause, and made many reflect. A slogan on a billboard on the way out here uh, that we UIS have on Toronto Road reads, Reinventing Possible. This program is so perfectly aligned with that. You perfectly, you student authors, perfectly helped advance a positive, productive, and innovative next for so many. Thank you for your deep thinking and ability to apply your skills to successfully storytell and provoke change. When I joined UIS, which was just a short two and a half years ago, I studied here as well, so returning as an alum back into this position, I was asked by B, um, in which I obliged yes, to judge. And that experience was one of the most meaningful and rich ones since being here. Um, We leaders are always learning, and me too, every single day. And when I know more and more each day as I (laughs) age, we learn the most from our youth, from you student authors. So thank you for that. I want to rethink as B and Randy did, but it's important. Uh, special thanks to our supporters, KB, BLH Computers, Marine Bank, St. Jonah Register, longtime supporter, Surgeon Liz Muir, and our collaborating partner, Rotary Club of Springfield Sunrise, and our team, especially B Bonner and those in this room. Uh, a shout-out also extension into um, the Center for State Policy and Leadership, our Office of Electronic Media, Director Cody at the back there. Also, um, and most importantly, our participating of schools. Parents, you helped at home, you helped today, have your students arrive here, uh, and teachers. We know you collaborated and helped so much with your students in this program, writing the essays and helping to prepare them for what they're getting ready to come up here and do that I'm doing right now, which is going to be so important for them as a lifelong skill. So thank you, thank you, and without further ado, let's get to the best part of the program.
3: The best part is yet to come, however, first of all, wow, 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 that we are in a room like this with all of you. We are full. This is so, so impressive and so wonderful. I am Liz Muir, the president of Sunrise Rotary. I have to say that this is my favorite event that we partnership with, with NPR, UIS, and Sunrise Rotary. With this, I believe, I was fortunate enough to be a judge a few years ago. I spent more time crying and laughing in a very short time period. I would, I would give my husband Serge essays. I'm like, read this one, read this one. What do you think of this one? It is a life-changing experience to read what you write because you all, you write from your heart, you write from, from just your inner being, which is so impressive. So two quick things, because I'm keeping this short. This is our 17th year of partnering with NPR and this, I believe. And I was thinking this morning, some of you probably weren't even alive 17 years ago yet. Some of you essayists maybe aren't 17 years old yet. So that's impressive in itself. And I do want to recognize we have two Sunrise Rotarians who were judges for the essays this year. Rochelle and Jill were both judges that were... We're from our Sunrise Rotary. I hope to be a judge again at some point someday. Last but not least, this program started with a $100 scholarship. Good thing you all waited 17 years, because today you are each receiving a $500 scholarship. Thank you, B. Thank you for letting me do this. And now for the best part.
0: All right, just a couple of more things. I know some of y'all are about to riot, like, let them up here, let them up here. But wait just one second. Liz, thank you so much. Randy, Molly, thank you so much. Just really quickly, I want to thank all of our judges as well. I have, I see some of them out there. I see Jen too, so go ahead and raise, raise your hand. There you go, there you go. Uh, I really depend on these judges to do what they need to do, and it's a really hard job because there are so many good essays and you want to reward them all but sadly we can't. So thank you so much for following the timelines, for meeting with me to get these essays uh, chosen. And we didn't have that much debate this year, just a little bit, not too much. So uh, I'm just so glad uh, to see some of you all this morning. And now for the important parts of the event, we will hear from our fall 2022, this I believe essay is. First, we have Amber Ehrlich, from Glenwood High School. And she will be, there you go. She will be reading her essay, Unicorns, Rainbows, Teddy Bears, and Marshmallows. And here's Amber.
4: Unicorns, rainbows, teddy bears, and marshmallows was something my middle school math teacher used to say. I always laughed when she said it. The phrase seemed so silly and meaningless. But it was not until years later that it began to resonate with me. My teacher would always say the phrase when she knew we were stressed about school. It was her little way of trying to bring positivity into the classroom. Back then, I thought nothing of it. Two years after I finished middle school, the phrase began to reveal its true meaning to me. That year, I got a job teaching tennis at the local tennis courts. There were many classes that I helped to teach, but I mainly taught a class for three to five-year-olds. I loved teaching all the classes, however, not all of my coworkers did, with nearly all of them despising teaching the littlest kids. None of them had the patience to deal with them, That forced me to step up and be the main teacher for the little kids. As many people are aware, little kids can be angels or devils, and there is no way to know how each day will go. Some days it took all of my patience to get through classes, while other days they were breeze and flew by. It was during the tough classes that the phrase spoken by my teacher years ago truly started to take effect. I realized that my teacher was trying to get us to see the positive side of life, and not just focus on the negatives of the we felt in the moment. She wanted us to see the big picture, and with that silly little phase, she was doing more than giving us a laugh. She was showing us a different way of thinking. Ever since I came to that realization, my outlook on life changed. I stopped focusing on the short-term problems and focused on the positivity of the overall situation. While some classes were hard to get through, many more of them were fun. More often than not, the kids and I were laughing as we played fun little games, and classes would end with us out of breath and pink in the cheeks, but smiles painted on each of our faces. The good outweighed the bad, so I made the conscious effort to focus on the happy. Even when summer ended and school began, I continued with this mindset. I focused on doing well in school so that I could go to whatever college I wanted. No matter how hard the classes I taking were, I focused on the positivity of the bigger picture and did not allow the challenges to bring me down. I believe in unicorns, I believe in rainbows, I believe in teddy bears, and I believe in marshmallows. But mostly, I believe in what they represent. I believe in looking for the positivity in life.
0: Thank you, Amber. All right, next to the podium, we have Nick Ellis from Mount Zion Senior High School reading his essay, Pain Does Not Define Me.
5: Pain does not define me. This I believe. Complex regional pain syndrome is both rare and excruciatingly painful. So rare that my local physicians only vaguely recall hearing of it during medical school. So painful that it is often referred to as the suicide disease. I was diagnosed with CRPS in my dominant right hand at the start of my freshman year. Instead of playing football, in riding on my class's homecoming floats, I spent my first month of high school at the Mayo Pain Clinic, participating in daily activities. Every day is a struggle, some worse than others, but I refuse to let pain define me. Entering eighth grade baseball, my coach was shocked that I'd lost over five miles per hour on my fastball. Not only did I lose velocity, but it was extremely painful every time I threw or swung a bat. We knew something was wrong. After the season, I learned that my right wrist had never fully recovered from an earlier break and every ligament was torn. I was devastated that I was going to miss my eighth grade basketball season because I needed surgery followed by an intense recovery period. My new goal was to heal so that I could participate in high school sports. Fast forward nine months, while preparing for football, it became evident that something was wrong. So the doctors ordered a coronary angiogram or an MRI would die. The next day, I was screaming in pain at 40 to 60 minute intervals. For the first time, I saw that my parents were scared. Seeing no other option, we loaded up and headed to the Mayo Clinic. After a litany of tests, I was diagnosed with CRPS. Immediately, I entered the adolescent pain clinic. There I learned to manage my pain. I learned that despite my pain, I could live a happy and productive life. Eventually, I was able to return to school. Unfortunately, the doctors at Mayo insisted that I not stay enrolled in any of my advanced courses, which I knew would hurt my class rank. But controlling my pain and learning to live this new life was paramount to my success. I completed all of my makeup work, earning every grade, as compared to the past whenever I could just coast through with all A's. Although I'm not in the same spot I was at the beginning of grade school, I have a different perspective on the world. I no longer worry about popularity. Now, I work for my grades. I'm no longer in the top five of my class, but that's okay. The pain has taught me not to worry about little things. And although I would not wish CRPS on anyone, it has given me unique tools. In fact, I am who I am today because of my pain. And the pain does not and will never define me.
0: All righty, thank you, Nick. Next, we have Aurelie Granito from Hillsborough High School. Reading her essay, I Believe in Getting a Taste of Diverse Cultures. This I
6: Believe in Getting a Taste of Diverse Cultures. The aroma of Filipino, Turkish, and Indonesian cuisine float through the house. An amazing group of eight exchange students, who I only get the privilege of bonding with for seven short days, are cooking and teaching you their favorite dishes. The thick Turkish coffee brewed next to the rich, simmering Filipino chicken adobu crashes against their aromatic of Indonesian fried rice. Proving cultures can intertwine with little to no effort. Opening my mind to new cultures and experiences can be stressful, especially coming from a small rural town with little to no cultural diversity. The eight wonderful exchange students with whom I have the privilege of bonding with opened up my eyes and taste buds to the melting pot of the world. Through the YES program, founded after 9-11 to, the, to improve the relationships between Muslim countries in the US, students from all over the world visit and study in America. Who knew this experience would also provide me with eight new lifelong friends? I still remember the anxiety bubbling up in my stomach when I was waiting to meet Nadia, and the anxious thoughts racing through my mind. What if she isn't who she said she was? What if this was a bad idea? These what if questions were quickly proven wrong when I got to know Nadia, my Indonesian sister. Her bubbly laughter fills the room with positive energy, rubbing off on everyone else. Mizgen, my Turkish sister, never fails to be eager to learn about American culture and share her culture with me. While standing at the stove with Mizgen, she shows me how to brew thick Turkish coffee and fill the kitchen with its sweet aroma. I stand over the pot of Turkish coffee grounds and simmering water, carefully skimming the froth off the top to serve in little teacups to follow our delicious, multicultural dinner. On the other side of the stove is Indonesian fried rice, flavorful and sizzling. Nadia teaches me how to cook this delicious dish and a scorching walk erupting in steam. Despite our differences, many of which were cultural and religious, I learned to look past what makes us different and learn from them. Cooking is an amazing way to share culture with others, so while learning various dishes and drinks from around, from the students, I am also able to absorb more Filipino, Indonesian, and Turkish cultures. Because I was encouraged to open my mouth, I truly gained open eyes an open mind and open heart and discovered that we are more alike than we realize. I believe in getting a taste of the melting pot of of cultures in order to further understand the world and those who inhabit it, to see what unites us instead of the obvious division. Thank you to my eight wonderful new friends, Nadia, Mizgin, Anya, Mbeth, Ed, Griski, Algernon, and Aaron, who helped me open my eyes and taste buds up to cultures from around the world. I wouldn't want it any other way.
0: Thank you, O'Reilly. Next, we have Audrey Hempkin from Hillsborough High School, reading her essay, Home is Not a Place. This, I
7: believe, home is not a place. I was five years old and my dad had just been stationed in Germany. That meant my first airplane ride was going to be around 13 hours long. Because I had only seen an airplane safely from the ground, I was obviously terrified to be gliding through the clouds. The day eventually came, and my family of five and our beagle with the obnoxious bark packed up our gold Mazda minivan and drove to the airport. Once on the airplane, it was a long ride that consisted of intensely chewing bubble gum while watching The Little Mermaid. Two years later, I experienced the same play ride, but as a family of four, my dad kept the dog. Unfortunately, this time around, I traded the beautiful green mountains of Ramstein for cornfields. I don't remember much from that plane ride, but I do know that was the day I found a new definition for home. When asked where their home is, most people will respond with a physical address. My answer is a little different. By age 17, I've had addresses in three different countries, and I've never had a place to refer to as my childhood home. Since that first flight, I've spent countless hours in an airport or on an airplane. I've come to know that I love the 6 a.m. bite from the wind while unloading the heavy luggage, suitcases whose wheels barely roll because of the number of shirts I stuffed in them. I love the long walk down Memorial Hallway and Ronald Reagan Washington National Airport and my mom's I miss You hugs. I love the Dunkin' Donuts coffee that is too sweet and the anticipation of my next adventure. On the other hand, I hate the tears that roll down my cheeks and the guilt that's piled up from leaving one parent to see the other. I know I hate the security guards who can't ever agree on the precautions they're supposed to take. I hate the smell of bleach in the bathrooms and my mom's goodbye hugs because leaving her is so difficult. While I have so much love for my dad, the only things that have ever been consistent in my life are airports and my mom. Throughout my parents' divorce, the one thing that never changed was my mom. She's never left my side and will always be where I feel the safest. I'll forever have a love-hate relationship with airports, but when I'm waiting to board that plane, there's one thing I know. If this big metal bird is taking me back to the corn, no matter what beautiful scenery I'm leaving, I'll be home. So yes, to answer your question, my home is but my home is also wherever you find Amy because my heart's home isn't a place, it's my mom. Home to me is not a specific place, but more of a feeling I get when with who I love.
0: Well, thank you, Audrey, for doing that. And next, we have Cameron Kuyper from Hillsboro High School reading her essay, I Believe in the After.
8: I believe in the after. On a cloudless sunny day, the overlapping sounds of footsteps fill the air as my peers race to be the first ones at the bleachers for recess. Nearly drowning in my coat, the sleeves hanging off my arms, my hands curled inside searching for feeling in my fingers, I make my way to the track alone. Mindlessly I swipe left to the exercise screen on my watch and reach for the running option. My veiny, near numb legs simply follow the orders of my mind mile after mile, day after day, until the bell rings. After school, my mom says she wants to take me somewhere. Mine racing, I hope it's not a restaurant. We arrive at a fluorescent green house towering over its neighbors. A kind face greets me at the door, asking me to come inside. My legs shiver as they press against a chair she asked me to sit in. The outside of the house does not match the inside. The room is filled with a type of air that suffocates, invading me, filling me with panic. My sunken, tired eyes scan the beige walls plastered with posters. My eyes are frozen on a singular word, disorder. I'm disordered? Confused, I muster my energy to study the next wall. Over 300 million Americans suffer from an eating disorder. I'm a statistic. As a 12-year-old, I let a disorder take over my life, from packing empty lunchboxes to doing crunches every night before bed to constantly calculating how many calories I would consume that day. I was completely captivated by the idea of making myself small. I was stuck in a cycle, a battle between my body and my mind. I was spiraling until I walked into that greenhouse. Confronted with reality, I decided I had to choose recovery. I had to choose life. It's the hardest thing I've ever done, but given the choice to go back and make that decision again, I would choose recovery every single time. So before I left the greenhouse for the very last time, I examined the walls again. Research suggests that about 46% of anorexia patients fully recover. I was right. I am a statistic. It's a warm sunny day, but this time everything is different. I'm 18 and a new ice cream shop opened uptown. I'm excited to go with my best friend. No longer does the thought of food instill panic. No longer am I pulling open my phone to calculate how many calories I have left. No longer am I controlled by a number on a scale. My eating disorder does not define my entire life because it was only a small portion of it. There's a life after struggle for everyone, no matter what it is. I know there is, because I'm living it. I believe in the after.
0: Thank you, Cameron. All right, next we have Kaylee Morrow from Litchfield High School reading her essay, I Believe in Love Languages.
9: feeling of an entangling embrace, a calm hand intertwined with mine, cut up fruit brought to my room. This is how I recognize love. Love is all around me. I can recognize it anywhere. A student brings a teacher gifts to show their appreciation. Children play with their friends at a playground and share their toys. Dogs wag their tails. Cats purr. There's always a way to show love. That is why I believe in love languages. I have been in a constant battle with depression and suicidal thoughts since I was about 12 years old. And if you know anything about Filipino culture, you would know that religion and superstitions are a key part of their lives. In my case, my Filipino mother didn't believe in things considered taboo in her family, one of which was the concept of depression. She didn't quite understand why I would never talk or why I would stay in my room alone hours on end. I know she was worried about me and wasn't sure how to communicate that. However, it all began to change when I officially got diagnosed with moderate to severe depression. When I got home following the diagnosis, my mother was sitting on our living room couch, anxiously waiting for me to get back home with my father. I took my shoes off, greeted my family, and went to my room to lie down in my bed until the morning like I had always done. This time though, something was different. I could hear it in my mother's voice through the walls of our house. She was crying silently as my dad consoled her, assuring her that I would get better after medication. I brushed it off and went back to aimlessly staring at the ceiling. A little while later, my mother gently knocked on my door to let me know she was coming in. She held a plate of sliced strawberries, mangoes, and apples. I had no idea why she brought me fruit, but I accepted it, and she left right after giving me a kiss on the cheek. Maybe she just felt pity for me. I didn't know. Nor did I have the energy to find out. My dad would come in and give me long, silent hugs. I appreciated the gestures. Looking back, I'm glad they did those things for me. They saved my life. Their ways of showing love taught me that I am not alone. I was surrounded by love throughout my life, but I was never able to recognize it. Now I can. Turns out that my mother's love language is gift giving and my father's love language is physical touch. Without them, I'm not sure if I would have made it to my senior year writing this essay. Therefore, I believe in the power of lump
0: languages. Thank you, Kaylee. Now we have Sierra Robinson from AC Central High School reading her essay, I Believe in Looking at the Stars.
10: I believe in looking at the stars. The night sky is an endless expanse of mystery and Earth is just a small fraction of it. My curiosity for the universe stems from when I was a child. I grew up in a city where the light pollution made it nearly impossible to truly see the stars, although I still gazed out my bedroom window every night and settled for what I could see. When I was about 10 years old, I began watching documentaries about the universe and made sure I saw NASA's new photo of the day. I wanted to know everything about the universe, and I dreamt that one day I would become an astronomer and see all the details that NASA could see. I had a rough childhood growing up. My parents were not around, and I was forced to mature at a very young age due to my parents' poor choices. I had to parent my own parents, and I was too busy with my home life to make friends. I never fit in with anyone, and I found it hard to socialize. The night sky was my escape from everything. It was my source of comfort and peace. Laying in a grassy field in the middle of nowhere where the darkness is heavy under the grand night sky is the most therapeutic experience for me. My resilience shines through with each shooting star and I love watching the constellations move across the sky. The stars have always given me the time to reflect and have been a strong and steady guide when needed. They have helped me realize how insignificant my stressors are and helped me know that I need to just live life instead of focusing on the things that are out of my control. The same night sky that was there for me when I was 10 years old will be there for me forever. The star's ability to shine reminds me that I can too. They give me hope for all my tomorrows when I stop the gaze at their awesome beauty. I think everyone should look at the stars and admire them.
0: This I believe. Thank you, Sierra. Next, we have Summer Smith from Hillsboro High School reading her essay, I Believe in Orange Juice.
11: I believe in orange juice. Tangibly, lemonade is the ultimate thirst quencher. Metaphorically, though, orange juice will always be superior. Growing up, I solved all of my dilemmas with the motivational quote, when life gives you lemons, turn them into lemonade. That motto helped me get through most of my qualms, but not all. I've never been the girl with the singed waist, the petite wrist that fit effortlessly between my forefinger and thumb, nor who adorned a pair of size 2 can-can jeans. This societal standard never bothered me until August, ni- August 21st, 2019 that is. Freshman year introduced me to a plethora of girls who fit society's definition of beauty. Anxiety filled me each day after school as I stood in front of the mirror clutching the flesh that I no longer wanted on me. An eating disorder wasn't my goal in the beginning, but my fiery competitive spirit coupled with imploding societal beauty standards had no beneficial outcome whatsoever. It started innocently enough with ditching my religious after-school sweet tea routine. I didn't realize I had a problem until I, start, until I started getting angry with my parents for pressing me about why I never ordered anything other than salad and ice water. I started to notice subtle changes. My genes fit me better than they did before. My muscles were beginning to look more defined, and people began to compliment me more than ever. COVID took most of my freshman year along with part of my sophomore year, so it wasn't until junior year began that the flames raging inside me evolved into a full-blown wildfire. My jeans hung from my bones like a coat dangling from a rack. My eyes no longer glowed. They were merely bleak windows to my lifeless soul. I felt so alone, like no one would ever care for what I had to offer on the inside, only that I matched the fully edited models of Instagram. While I was hopelessly scrolling through my Pinterest, I stumbled upon a quote that stopped me on a dime. The quote screamed at me in vibrant shades of orange, reading, when life gives you lemons, turn them into orange juice and leave the world wondering how you did it. My soul came to life in that moment, inspiring me to make a change. Today, I use my story to inspire others to always be proud of the person they were made to be. I want others to be passionate about everything that makes them unique, rather than hide what makes them boldly beautiful. It wasn't an easy journey, but I've come to understand that society's expectations are only set for those who allow themselves to fall prey to a losing game. Rather than be the product of lemonade from life's lemons, I will always be the glass of orange juice. This I believe.
0: Thank you, Summer. Next, we'll have Hannah Sullivan from Douglas MacArthur High School reading her essay, Accidental Therapy. The sun sets
12: on a muggy day. My tight jeans feel hot against my skin as I run across concrete. My friend and I come over the hill just in time to catch it. The painting of orange and pink against a once perfectly blue sky, I'm filled with love and appreciation of the world around me. Over the pandemic, many people found themselves in periods of isolation and loneliness. Although I experienced these on many restless nights, the excess time alone brought me something new, nature. Many afternoons following virtual school, I biked around my neighborhood. Quickly, I began biking a local trail a mile from my house, which turned into biking miles of trail every day. My time was consumed with this new obsession, and along my journeys, I frequently stopped to observe bright green trees against the crisp blue sky, or a field of newly blossoming flowers, or a deer who had stopped in my path. In all honesty, I started this hobby in pure boredom, and I wasn't expecting it to become too much. However, It turned into something far bigger and integral to my identity. The daily exposure to nature during such an isolating time became incredibly mindful and therapeutic and taught me many things about myself. I discovered new music too, to listen on my rides. I started painting with the inspiration of the world around me, and I deeply thought about my sense of self and values. I processed emotions and events I would have been unable to work through if I continued to be in school all of the time. I discovered something that had made me content. Going back to school full full time for a year has been difficult. I don't have the time anymore to go out and enjoy things alone, like riding my bike. The importance that was put on self-care and mindfulness has faded. I found small ways to incorporate it into my life, like walks on beautiful days, a small sketchbook, and playing tennis with my friends. Nothing can make me forget the joyful days I spent learning to know and love myself, and my appreciation for nature will always be present in my life. No matter what is going on in my life, I will always stop to admire a perfectly blue sky, a beautiful sunset, or the way leaves fall when autumn starts.
0: Thank you, Hannah. And last, but certainly not least, and he's back there laughing at me right now, we have Justin Zhang from Litchfield High School reading his essay, Being Second Place.
13: As far back as I can remember, being first at anything would make you instantly a winner. Being first in a race, winner. Being the top student, winner. Being the first to turn in your homework or tests or whatever you had to turn in that day, winner. Being first at anything and anything would make you instant, would make you a winner no matter the situation. Due to this mindset, throughout my life, I've always tried to be first in everything, no matter the cost. Although my mindset changed one day, it was a warm summer afternoon, and I decided to challenge my neighbor to another bike race. This wasn't a rare occurrence in my neighborhood. After all, bike races uh, would give you credibility if you were the winner. The terms were simple. start on top of the steep driveway that was in our neighborhood, and the first one across the street was the winner. On our venture to the steep driveway, I remember both of us being pumped with energy. Once on top of this driveway, we counted down from three and we both exploded off the driveway. After a few moments of cycling, I scanned around I scanned around for my neighbor, and he was nowhere in sight. Until I peeked backwards and I saw him. A slow grin appeared on my face as I looked forward. And then I looked back and started to laugh at the distance that had that had continued to grow. In the midst of my laughter, I felt my bike chain rattle and crack. I suddenly felt my chain hit the ground, and with that, I came to a halt with my face on the ground. After this this experience, I learned something. Being first does make you a winner, but there's a problem that lies with that. While you're winning or after you've won, your attention is focused on who you beat instead of how you could have improved. Unlike people in first place, people in second place have the motivation to be first, and with that, motivation to improve. Being second place makes you a winner. You have the opportunity to improve and better yourself and reach new standards. I believe this is a true winner, a person who becomes a better version of himself. I believe in improvement. I believe in second place.
0: Thank you, Justin, and thank you to all the essayists for getting up here and reading. I know it's not easy, but you can breathe now. You got it over with, it's all all right. So let's give them a round of applause. (laughs) I just have a few more people I want to thank before we get out of here. I want to thank the UIS Catering Services for providing the breakfast this morning. It was really tasty. Shout out to Randy Williams and his team. Thank you so much. I want to thank the UIS Office of Electronic Media. OEM, Cody, wave your hand back there. Thank you so much. Uh, Cody deals with me a lot, and he calms my anxiety when it comes to all of this stuff. So thank you for getting me set up. (laughs) I also want to thank the UIS Student Union staff for providing the space and uh, making sure we can get in the building early. So shout out to Ashley Hall and her team. I also want to thank Liz and Serge Muir for helping making this breakfast possible this morning. So thank you both. Um, again, thank you to all of our sponsors, everybody that helps out with this program. Thank you to NPR Illinois staff that have helped today. Audrey Badley back there, thank you so much. Kate McKenzie over there. And then Randy Ethels, of course, and Molly, thank you again for being here this morning. If I forgot you, please, again, my mother would say, do not blame my heart, blame my head. There's a lot of things going on up here this morning. So if I forgot you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, If you would like to read or listen to the essays this year, they are available at our website nprillinois.org under This I Believe Illinois. You will be able to see all the essays all the way back, I think. So um, go check those out. This year's essays are up there as well. Again, I want to give one last final round of applause for our essays. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you for spending the morning with us. Thank you all for getting up this morning and being here. SAS, please come see me and have a wonderful rest of your day.